Well, there appears to be a shortage of exorcists within the Catholic Church. Uh, In fact, there was a recent calling from priests on the Catholic Church to appoint more exorcists. Father Pat Collins told the Irish Catholic newspaper demand for exorcism services had risen exponentially in recent years. A renowned Irish exorcist and priest has called on the Catholic Church to appoint more exorcists. Father Pat Collins, Dublin-based priest, said the church needed at least one trained exorcist for each diocese as he gets messages daily from people looking for his help. The priest said the Catholic Church was out of touch with reality as they are sending sufferers of possession to psychologists instead of performing rituals. Father Collins told the Irish Catholic newspaper demand for exorcism services had risen in recent years. What I'm finding out desperately is people who, in their own minds, believe rightly or wrongly that they are being afflicted by an evil spirit, said Father Collins. I think in many cases, they wrongly think it. But when they turn to the church, the church doesn't know what to do with them, and they refer them on or either to a psychologist or somebody that they've heard of that is interested in this form of ministry. And they do fall between the cracks and are often not helped at all. The Catholic Communications Office has previously said the church did require that each Irish diocese have a trained exorcist, someone who knows how to distinguish the signs of demonic possession from those of mental or physical illnesses. In 2011, the Catholic Church warned that a surge of Satanism facilitated by the Internet had led to a sharp rise in the demand for exorcism, and a six-day conference was held on the subject, which took place in Rome, Italy. Current events and other fun facts. Hi, this is Neil. I was just doing a funny voice to spice it up a little bit. I'm hoping you're having a great week. Sharing some current events with you. Uh, This one is not necessarily paranormally related, but it caught my attention. Uh, Headline states that President Trump appeared to endorse efforts by legislators in several states to allow public schools to offer Bible classes. Well, that's great if they're offering the Bible classes as like an elective and whatnot. I'm all for that. Me also being a Christian, I understand that you cannot enforce biblical mandation in the classroom, considering the fact that in America we are a melting pot and freedom of religion means all religions, not just endorsement of Christianity. Uh, We have people who uh, practice Judaism in America, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, Wiccans, uh, people who subscribe to the satanic philosophy, people who worship uh, heads of lettuce or a squiggly-faced octopus-type creature. There's also people who worship pairs of jeans or maybe uh, Islam. You can't necessarily say we're going to offer Bible classes and not offer the rest. Uh, that's discrimination and it could open a whole new can of worms. And numerous states introducing the Bible literacy classes, giving students the option to study the Bible, uh, starting to make uh, turn back. Great, Mr. Trump tweeted Monday, morning after uh, Fox and Friends ran a segment on the topic. 
Christian lawmakers and six Republican-controlled state legislators across the country are pushing for legislation that would allow public schools to offer elective classes on the New and Old Testaments. Electives are fine. It would be like a Bible club or a young Christians club. Schools have always had those. And a lot of people that are on the far right think that there's some sort of a dark conspiracy against Christianity in America. That's just a farce. Um, That's like in the 1980s during the days of the satanic panic when James Dobson and Focus on the Family uh, spread rumors at that point in time. This is way before the Internet, so you really couldn't fact check a whole lot of stuff. You just had to take it for face value and say, oh, yeah, that's absolute gospel. But Dr. James Dobson and Focus on the Family created this hysterical movement stating that people who were playing Dungeons and Dragons were committing suicide or people who listened to heavy metal were committing suicide. Yeah, there were suicides back then. That was normal. Unfortunately, it's a part of life. In fact, in just the last two years, um, in the state of Ohio alone, suicide has increased by 50%. And it's not necessarily attributed to heavy metal music or um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons either. I mean, there's an onslaught of things. Cyberbullying, bullying in school, uh, mental health instability... Uh, the lack of mental health stability in our legislation and in our country. Uh, You want to blame mental illness on gun violence, but then you turn around and you want to cut funding and prevent the CDC from exploring the fact that there is an epidemic of gun violence in this country. Statistics show this, and it has increased tenfold. Uh, You have people that are mentally ill getting their hands on guns easier, faster, without proper background checks. You can go to a gun show and show your ID, maybe not even have to show your ID. Uh, Normally, if you're white and you have a bit of a southern accent, you can get pretty much whatever you want at a gun show. That's the unfortunate reality we're faced with. And I'm sure I'll be turning off a lot of my listeners, but that's fine. I'll pick up more listeners. So be it. The push by conservative legislators in Florida, Indiana, Missouri, North Dakota, Virginia, and West Virginia have stirred some controversy in regards to this um, optional elective that they're wanting to offer. Um, My comment to to that is this. That that would be great if Trump, who is endorsing wanting Bible classes back in school as a regular elective, if he would actually read and practice and exhibit what Christ asked us to do unto the least of us. Instead of being the physical embodiment of the seven deadly sins itself, it would be great if he led by example and changed and became a better person and showed more of the empathy and the class and grace and tact and compassion of Jesus Christ instead of worshiping the God that he truly does worship, which is himself. Another headline that brought my caught my attention was Kanye West in front of a giant megachurch on Sunday, hosted by Joel Osteen, referred to himself as the greatest artist that God has ever created. It was during the Joel Osteen service on November 18th. He told parishioners at Joel Osteen's Houston megachurch on Sunday that his recent spiritual awakening has made him realize that he's no longer in service to fame and money, but in service to God. West spoke to a packed crowd of about 16,000 people at Lakewood Church. During an interview with Olstein from the stage, West told the parishioners about his recent conversation, con- sorry, conversion to Christianity and how God has been guiding him. I know that God has been calling me for a long time and the devil has been distracting me for a long time, West said. He added, 
that at his lowest points, when he was hospitalized in 2006 for a mental breakdown, God was there with him, sending him visions and inspiring him. Last month, West released Jesus is King, a gospel-themed gospel album that's been described as Christian rap. I've listened to it. It's a decent album. Um, I've, I've liked a lot of his earlier stuff before he became an egomaniac and, and paraded around with a lampshade on his head in public, screaming at the paparazzi and throwing chairs at people in restaurants uh, before he lost his dang mind. The rapper's wife, Kim Kardashian, who um, is a former softcore porn star, uh, and their daughter, North West, joined him at this church. They sat in front, um, in the front row of the Cavernaus area, the former compact center, which was uh, once the home of the Houston Rockets. Many of the parishioners seated around West took photos of him with their cell phones. This is like the Super Bowl today, said Amy Holmes, who was visiting from New Orleans with her husband and decided to attend. West, in front of all of the people at this church, said that he is the greatest artist God has ever created. Now, all in all, the greatest artist to ever exist is God. He is the greatest scientist, the greatest artist. You know, I'm very serious about my faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to claim that I'm perfect. I'm not going to claim that I'm the best. I'm not going to claim that I'm better than you. I'm not going to tell you that your sins are going to send you to hell. I'm not going to tell you that I live better than you. I am one of the perfect sinners, if that makes sense. I sin every day. Um, I don't have the cleanest mouth. I certainly do not take the Lord's name in vain, because that is a bridge I will not cross. Um, PG, PG-13 expletives. You know, that's my my uh, drug of choice. Whatever. Um, the words are man-made. But the way we use them is what stings. So, I will not pretend that I am whole inside. I will not pretend that I am holier than thou. I will not pretend that I am up higher than anyone else. And I will also not kowtow or uh, not call a spade a spade. That's something I've always been known for. And I've lost a lot of people in my life as a result of it, but so be it. I always find more people. But I have had enough of Kanye West's media circus and his attempt at milking the Christian cash cow. This man is mentally ill and is playing Christian as a way to not only reach another audience, but to also showboat more and more for his own self-fulfilling prophecy. He's a false prophet and a charlatan. A false prophet and a charlatan. Now, I've said this time and time again about Trump and about Pence and about everyone else right now that is in the festering boil that is known as the GOP. The party of Lincoln is dead, folks. The party that Abraham Lincoln inspired is gone. It's dead. It died with McCain. It died with Reagan. Real, true leaders are gone. The people we have in power now, it's an atrocity to mankind. We're, we're going to look back at this, or maybe we'll be gone by then, but we will be a part of history that the people of the future will look back at and think, what the hell? Much like we look at the reign of Hitler now, Wondering, how did it, we let it get this far out of hand? How did he get the endorsement of the church? Much like Trump getting the endorsement of the church. He has single-handedly hijacked modern Christianity and made it a weapon against people that pseudo-evangelicals deem as unclean or impure. 
He's a false prophet and a charlatan. He wouldn't know humility if it appeared in the form of a snake and bit him between the eyes. In regards to Kanye calling himself the greatest artist to ever live and the greatest artist ever created by God, keep in mind, Kanye is no Beethoven. Kanye is no Leonardo da Vinci. He is not the Beatles. He is no Plato. He is not Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. He is no Picasso. He is not U2. He is no Rembrandt. He is not Marvin Gaye. He's no Michelangelo. He's no Bruce Springsteen. He's no Salvador Dali. He's no Freddie Mercury. He's no Bob Dylan. He is not Prince. He is not Outkast. He is not Pink Floyd. He is not Elvis Presley. He is no Vincent Van Gogh. He is not Jimi Hendrix. He's not Jim Morrison. He is not Childish Gambino. Need I go on? The people I just named off are a few of the greatest, most gifted artists of all time, and they never felt the need to tell us that. Take a seat, Kanye. You're drunk on your own ego. Neil Parks out. The Mandela Effect is a phenomenon that makes us question even the most mundane memories from the past. In June 2019, the famed New York Times crossword puzzle made it the theme and defined it as a recent refinement of false memory that typically refers to pulp culture or current event references. Named by paranormal researcher Fiona Broom, it's basically remembering something that doesn't match with historical records. For example, the stuff you use to make your home smell fresh isn't Febreze. More on that later. Broom has said that she loves the idea that the Mandela effect or others claiming they distinctly recall different events or details, could be proof that we are existing in alternate realities. We are not so sure that that's the truth, but these comparisons between popular belief and reality is making our jaws hit the floor as we type this and speak about it. Check out 40 of the most God-smacking facts I'm about to name off for starters. Nelson Mandela's death. Let's start with the reason we're all here. Nelson Mandela, who this theory is named after, died in 2013. However, countless people distinctly remember him dying in prison in the 1980s. But his death isn't the only example of a Mandela effect. We've been working about uh, wrong about so many dates, details, and more. Keep going for more... Uh, commonly misremembered moments in history here as I run them off for you. Jeff Peanut Butter has always been Jeff. It's not Jiffy. People swear there was a Jiffy Peanut Butter back in the day, but uh, they're combining Jeff with his competitor, Skippy. And that's where you get Jiffy. Looney Tunes. It's T-U-N-E-S, not T-O-O-N-S. It makes almost zero sense, but yes, the cartoon was spelled as T-U-N-E-S. Now this one, I can't wrap my brain around because I distinctly remember it being the Baron Stein Bears. The reason I, uh, it was pronounced Baron Stein, B-E-R-E-N-S-T-I-N, as so many remember it. The uh, reason I called it Baron Stein was because I... Compared it to Frankenstein, because <clears throat> I thought the spelling was very similar to Frankenstein. So I would call it that. But in reality, the lovable cartoon bear family is actually spelled B-E-R 
E-N-S-T-A-I-N. There's always been an A, but so many people remember it being Stein, S-T-E-I-N. Another one, Curious George never had a tail. Sex and the city. So many people remember it being sex in the city. But uh, these four women were, in fact, having sex in the city, but the show was actually titled Sex and the City. Febreze. You might use this stuff every day, but the uh, to be honest, you might have thought it was Febreze, B-R-E-E-Z-E, where, in fact, it's only one E. Oscar Mayer is actually Oscar Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, but still pronounced Mayer. Skechers is S-K-E-C-H-E-R-S, not S-K-E-T-C-H-E-R-S. Fruit Loops is not F-R-U-I-T, it's F-R-O-O-T. Kellogg has been spelling Fruit Loops like that for years, and I only noticed it now. King Henry VIII's turkey leg and a painting of King Henry. Uh, For some reason, so many people distinctly remember the portrait showing the King of England wielding a turkey leg. But in reality, he has his hand pointed upwards, draped over his shoulder. He was never holding a turkey leg. The Monopoly Man. So many people remember him having a monocle, which is a single lens over one eye that is common with rich people or of those of an aristocratic society of that time period. He never had a monocle. Pikachu from Pokemon. His tail does not have black squiggly marks at the end. It's just completely yellow. Kit Kat. There's no hyphen. It's just Kit Kat. The Fruit of the Loom logo. Used to have a cornucopia behind the fruit, right? Right? No, there was never a cornucopia. It's just fruit. Cornucopia, that's a basket. Cheese it or cheese its? It's just cheese it. There's no Z at the end. So many people call it cheese its. That could be a colloquialism, though, where so many people refer to the grocery store chain Kroger as Kroger's or Walmart as Walmart's. Double stuff Oreos, it's only one F. Double stuff. Mona Lisa's smile, there are a lot of theories about this one, but so many people have claimed that she used to have a more obvious smile. But in fact, it's just a grimace. C-3PO has a silver leg. Even the biggest Star Wars fan and Halloween costume sites get it wrong. The robot isn't all gold. He has one silver piece on his right leg. The Flintstones has two T's. It's not the Flintstones, it's the Flint Stones. Chartreuse. There was someone telling you that the Chartreuse is a magenta pink color. So many others agree with you, but in reality, it's a shade of green. That is Chartreuse. Life is like a box of chocolates is not what Forrest Gump, played by the amazing Tom Hanks, actually said. If you listen closely, he says life was like a box of chocolates. I'm regretting all of those Instagram captions right about now.
Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Nope, that wasn't the line in Snow White either. In fact, the Wicked Queen says, Magic mirror on the wall. Our childhood has been ruined. Luke, I am your father from Darth Vader and Star Wars. Honestly, this one cut me pretty deep. Perhaps the most famous movie line in history. <clears throat> Wasn't even said that way. All he really said was, I am your father. Run, you fools. Hate to burst your bubble again, but this memorable line was never said by Gandalf before his treacherous fall. You can clearly hear him saying, fly, you fools. Hello, Clarice. I'm not sure what's scarier, the fact that we remember Hannibal Lecter saying, hello, Clarice, or the reality that all he said was, good morning. Say what? Of the world. Oh, and your favorite song, The Mandela Effect, is here to ruin that too. We all think of Freddie Mercury belting out of the world at the end of We Are the Champions, but it never happened. Mr. Rogers' theme song. You might start singing the lyric, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, especially with the upcoming Tom Hanks film. But even the movie makers got it wrong. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A small but mighty blow to our memories. The number of U.S. states. The correct answer is 50, obviously, but some Americans and foreigners alike recall learning that there were 51 or 52. Sinbad never played a genie in a movie. This one is perhaps the most bizarre of all. Millions of people can attest that they distinctly remember seeing the comedian in a movie called Shazam. Many argue they're confusing this memory with the movie Kazam, starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. <coughs> But who really knows? There was also a Radio Shack commercial in the early 1990s where Sinbad played a genie uh, for someone making a Christmas wish list. Only you, Smokey the Bear. Yep, that's his name. Contrary to popular belief, his name isn't Smokey the Bear. It's just Smokey Bear. Tank Man, and perhaps the most memorable moment during the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests. Recollections of the event vary. Some say the unidentified man known as Tank Man was run over and killed. But others um, show the video of him moving away from the scene. Neil Armstrong's death. Oddly enough, people who have a recollection of the aeronautic legend's death Many fans apparently forgot or didn't notice the news of him passing in August 2012. Billy Graham's death. Like Mandela, many can't place when Billy Graham's funeral aired on TV. That's probably because it didn't happen long ago. He died in February of 2018. Mother Teresa. People have strong opinions about when Mother Teresa was ordained as a saint. The real event happened in 2016, but many remember her entering sainthood in the 1990s when she was still alive. Space Shuttle Challenger Explosion Though the tragic accident took place on January 28, 1986, there were a number of people who thought it happened in 1984 or 85. I'm one of them. The Lindenberg Baby When aviator Charles Lindenberg's infant son was kidnapped, the entire world focused their attention on the story. Many remember the case going cold, but they sadly found the baby and uh, sentenced the killer to death for the heinous crime.
Patrick Swayze's health. Though the actor sadly died after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, people have said they remember him recovering. Leonardo DiCaprio's first Oscar. Though Leo finally took home his first Oscar for Best Actor in 2016, millions of people argue he scored one much earlier. It's easy to get this one confused, though, because he was previously nominated five other times. Location of Disney World Castle. If you've ever been to Magic Kingdom, do you recall where the castle was located? Some, even one Orlando local, clearly remembers it being at the entrance of the park. Now I got some interesting pieces of fan mail, mainly questions from people, listeners like you. Uh, One of them's coming from an individual um, out of Texas asking me, uh, Mr. Neil Parks, have you ever encountered an Egyptian or a Greek or Roman ghost? Unfortunately, um, Mr. Texas, I have not. I've not been to Egypt I've not been fortunate enough to hit that region or anywhere around um, Greece or Rome. That would be my idea of where you would encounter spirits of that nature, that culture. Uh, unless, say, like the Smithsonian Institute that has artifacts and relics from that area. The same with any museum, uh, such as in New York City. Chances are there might be some kind of attachment from that culture that could be spiritual, but I've not been fortunate enough to encounter it. Another question comes from Molly out of Boston, Massachusetts. She's asking me, we moved into a new home, Neil, and since making some renovations, just adding some shelves, painting some walls, moving a window, and uh, planning on adding a sun porch in the back, strange things have been happening in the house. Um, we have a three-year-old who has been interacting with what a child that they say lives in the closet and did some digging on the history of the home and found out that there was a pond that was behind the house at one point that they've since drained and covered over that a uh, six-year-old child had drowned in that pond that lived in the house originally and the room that my child now has is the room this child once had. And that's uh, based on the description of what my child has given me in regards to the other child that I can't see, but they are playing with and interacting with, matches the description of the child who died from drowning on the property. What should I do? Uh, at this point, doesn't appear to be any kind of a threat um, based on just interacting with that. If it is um, residual, then... That's perfectly normal, perfectly fine, absolutely harmless. If it's something that is non-human and manifesting itself and appearing as a child to toy with and manipulate your child and your family, then that could be dangerous. Only time will tell. Uh, Either the child, your kid, will grow out of interacting with this Uh, Once that extra gland closes over, so many of us uh, of the human population percentage-wise loses the ability to interact through a natural sixth sense because of what we know as the third eye, the gland that is attached to your cerebral cortex, closes over with age, and then there's no longer any kind of an interaction with the spirit world or the ability to see things that you can't physically see but are there metaphysically.
Only time will tell, but if it begins to show any signs of aggression or if your child is actually being hurt by this thing, then you definitely want to seek a paranormal investigation team, a research team that is tied deeply in, uh, into a church or faith to where you could use either a um, rabbi or a priest or a, a Christian minister to eradicate negative energy. If that becomes the case, that, that would be wise. The next question comes from Mark out of Florida. He's telling me about a time that he and some friends went camping in Tennessee and encountered what appeared to be a uh, giant dog bear creature. He's asking me if there have ever been any werewolf sightings or reports, that is, in Tennessee, in this area, um, outside of the mountains, close to, he says it's a PGA golf course on the other side of the mountain. But in this region he was camping in, he encountered, he and his friends encountered some strange dog bear type creature. Now, I can tell you, Mark, that the dog man has always been described as some sort of a strange hybrid bear dog looking thing. Uh, not quite a werewolf, not anywhere near as big as a bear, but it does have uh, strong, stalky arms and stands upright and has backwards bending legs like a dog or a standard animal where their knees are essentially on the back of their leg. And they do have that appearance and they stand upright, but they hunch over and they can run on all fours at the same time as well as running on the back legs. Uh, if that is what you, in fact, encountered, chances are you saw a dogman. Now, as far as dogman reports in Tennessee, I've not come across any, nor have any of the other people that I've collaborated with and other research teams I've worked with in the past. Have they ever written about, talked about, or encountered a dogman in Tennessee? It's something to definitely flag and keep a close eye on because you may not be the only one encountering this type of creature. I'd like to thank all my fans and people listening who will hopefully become fans of the show for sending in your questions. I take those anytime. You can send emails and questions to parksparanormal at gmail.com. That's parksparanormal at gmail.com. And you can always get on YouTube or Facebook and type in keywords under search at the Neil Parks and my YouTube channel is under Parks Paranormal. You can always find it, of course, through Google or go on YouTube and put in at the Neil Parks and you will find my channel. And I would be happy to answer any questions you have, give you some advice or fair warning. Uh, thank you so much for the fan mail, the questions, the letters. Keep them coming, people. bump in the night and some of the things that go bump in the night our buddy neil parks from circleville or i'm sorry from chillicothe was here uh just about a week ago and in over the last couple of years he's, he's given us like the lowdown on some serious haunted areas and and different mythological creatures that people are talking about so uh by popular demand i wanted to play a couple of these and uh here's neil play cut two here rick uh this is neil telling a story about the hillsborough mass murderer check this out 
Well, there's allegedly a guy in uh, the Hillsborough area who was yeah. said to have killed 30-something people, and on his birthday every year, he reveals another victim. And that's what's keeping him out of solitary confinement. And allegedly, the sheriff's department in that area is keeping him in the jail itself, not an actual uh, populated prison. Because he's worked out a deal to where on his birthday, he release, uh, releases the name of a new victim. And his property is said to be haunted by at least 17 victims. That, and he owned a uh, auto body shop, like a garage. And he was killing these people and burying them on the property of the garage and throughout different parts of, of the region. This supposedly happened in the 80s, and he's still alive, and they're keeping him in the county, uh, the sheriff's jail cell, essentially the prison that they're not within uh, the regular now? population currently. Yeah, That's the story I've heard. <laughs> I'd like. Can we call them and say, "Hey, is so and so there?" Because I'd like to interview? find out what's going on, man. <laughs> yeah, why is that guy not in prison? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the story of the Hillsborough mass murderer. Oh, okay. And this is our buddy Neil Parks. What'd you say, Rick? Cut three. One or three. Yeah, they want. All right. So this is uh, talking about the Moonville Tunnel here in Ohio. Check this out. Uh, the Moonville Tunnel. Uh, there are two places you can go in particular to get directions. I suggest getting directions to it online. It's a lot better. But there's one gas station. Uh, it's not open anymore, but back in the day when I would go there frequently, it was a Ma and Pa gas station that was very reminiscent of um, Captain Spaulding. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Rest in peace, by you, the way. Yeah, yeah oh, I miss it. And... and uh, You'd go, you'd get directions, and he'd be like, oh, there's a rusted bus down to the right, and then you got to take a left at the old tree that's been burnt out, and there's a dead bird in there. It was kind of like, <laughs> get directions like that. Sure. But the legit gas station that is there and operates frequently, they give really good directions. In fact, they have uh, little maps there you can take for free, and it'll give you directions on how to get uh, to that area. I believe the name of the road starts with an R. God, I can't remember now. Uh, I never actually drove there myself. I always ride with people because I have terrible night vision. So uh, they normally drive at night. And when you go to this area, it's a tunnel that's been graffitied uh, out the wazoo. There's spray paint everywhere. Of course, people are putting um, spray paint and writing Hail Satan, but they spell it Satin. So <laughs> Hail Satin, I, I, does I guess. does not have the same yeah, does effect, not. guys. I like Satin. Yeah, yeah Hail Satin. Hail so, Satin, me too. It's so soft. <laughs> yeah. So you've got that and all these inverted crosses, just people screwing around, and then you've got local folks saying, oh, Satanists are up there meeting, but that's not So it's kind of like the Mothman thing. Yeah. In it's that all area. Like a lot of local Ohio, West Virginia. And there's a ghost of a lantern man that Ooh. walks up and down the tunnel who died headless? on the train track. He is said to be headless. Mm, gotta have my lantern man headless. Alright, there you go. Neil Parks, one of our buddies that is a specialist when it comes to things that are all things paranormal in the state of Ohio and some mythological creatures when it comes to Bigfoot and things like that. We'll uh, hear from him uh, tomorrow. Talk about Bigfoot a little bit as we get closer and closer to Halloween. Next I have a bit of a treat for my listening audience, just in time for Halloween, of course. I will be reading The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. 
"'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping on my chamber door. "'Only this and nothing more.' Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghosts upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books Sir Keys of Sorrow, Sorrow for the Lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber door." Some late visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber door. This is it, and nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there and nothing more. Deep into the darkness peering, Long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again, I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely, that is something at my window, lattice. Let me see then, that thereet is, th this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter, in there steeped, a stately raven in the saintly days of yore. Not the least obscene made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. By the grave and stern decorum of the Countess at war. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven? Ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore, tell me why thy lordly name is on the night's Plenty on shore, quoth the raven nevermore. Much I marveled, this ungainly fowl, to hear discourse so plainly. Though its answers little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such a name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely, 
on the placid bust spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather then he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken, my reply so aptly spoken. Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmercifully disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the digress of his hope and his melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy thinking. What this ominous bird of yore? What this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant and croaking nevermore? This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burden into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamp light gloating o'er, she shall press ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled in the tusted floor. Wrench, I cried, wrench, thy God hath let me by these angels he hath set thee. Respite, respite, and repent, nepeth from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff, this kind nepeth the forgotten, the lost Lenore. Quoth the raven nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, let me truly, I implore, tell me, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, never more. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if this the dis, distant Aden, it shall clasp a sedent maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word or sign of parting, bird or friend. I shrieked, upstarting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutean shore. 
Leave go back as a token of that lie thy shall hath spoken. Leave thy loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above the door. Take thy beak from thy heart. Take it out and take thy form from my door, quoth the raven nevermore. And the raven never flitted. Still it sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of demons that is dreaming and, and the lamp's light allure am streaming throws this shadow on the floor and my soul from that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted never more paranormally related television shows have become a staple for entertainment it started really with uh, shows like Beyond Belief. Uh, in the 1970s, I grew up watching documentaries that were hosted by Raymond Burr and Leonard Nimoy. And they did documentaries on Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, um, Loch Ness Monster, Bermuda Triangle, Ghostly Encounters, UFOs. And really sucked me in at a very early age. And just those shows continued to spiral off onto unsolved mysteries and sightings and, of course, ghost hunters and ghost adventures and paranormal state. The list goes on. And there are so many that at one time the market became completely saturated with more paranormal shows, paranormally related type of shows than you could shake a stick at. Uh, Destination Truth, Monster Quest. Uh, there was some really good and reputable shows but at the same time there was a lot of crap out there that was just choking the viewer with nonsense and questionable evidence if any evidence was collected at all became a lot of smoke and mirrors uh, this is a disappointing time near the end but there's been a resurgence lately uh, reputable teams are making a comeback after taking a break for a while like the gang from Ghost Hunters. The show is back now. And then there's the other half of Ghost Hunters. They are now doing a different show as well. And I've worked with a few of these people in the past, like Josh Gates from Destination Truth. I've collaborated with um, Jason Hawes from Ghost Hunters. Uh, a few other people that really know what they're doing, know what they're talking about and hold a positive light within that uh, genre of entertainment. Um, can't say enough good things about those people. But then, again, there's also the dime a dozens that ruin it for everyone with absolute garbage, um, faked evidence, questionable evidence. And like I said earlier, no evidence collected at all. And paranormally related material goes into a lot of newer movies now, uh, actual scripted television shows. I mean, I'm sure we all remember The X-Files, Kolchak the Night Stalker. Uh, that was in the late 70s as well. Uh, we've got um, movies like Insidious and The Conjuring and Annabelle. 
it's really a good time to be involved in the field of paranormal research because it's become a talking point that people aren't uncomfortable with anymore. They can discuss these things openly with each other or with people who may have at one time been skeptical. Uh, there's been a lot of groundbreaking as of late. The United States government, Air Force, actually has confirmed that unidentified flying objects do in fact exist and they are not our technology and they are of not any known origin or technology. Uh, NASA has confirmed that there are things about Mars and on Mars right now that will completely change our way of thinking and, and modern science and practices and belief systems and new worlds that have been discovered that are not even really being talked about in the mainstream yet. Uh, it's a great time to be in the field of paranormal research, paranormal investigation. We're seen as reputable now. We're seen as knowledgeable. Uh, so many of us are using scientific methods within our research to have concrete validity and data to show that what we're feeling and what we're seeing, what we're encountering does in fact exist around us, but in an alternate realm, an alternate plane. And it's not in the physical realm, it's metaphysical, it's pseudoscience. You can use thermal imaging equipment, you can use infrared thermometers, you can use uh, various types of LED lights with uh, different types of lumens that capture things that may not have been seen with regular lights or the naked eye. This story is called Woman on Fire, from my newest release, Haunted Enough? Terrifying Tales to Tell Your Friends. The old storage sheds along the tracks were abandoned shortly after the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad was built. It wasn't long before the poor residents of the area moved in. The sheds provided a shelter of sort, although the winter wind still pierced through every crevice. Small fireplaces that were constructed did little to keep the cold at bay. A local woman named Jenny lived there alone in one of the smaller sheds. She had fallen on hard times, and with no family to protect her, she was forced to find work where she could and take whatever shelter was available to someone with no money. Jenny never had enough to eat, and during the winter, her tiny fire barely kept her going during the cold months. Jenny still kept her spirits up and appointed herself as a protector to those around her. She would help other folks when they got sick or needed food, sometimes going without food herself so that others could eat. One cold evening, Jenny sat shivering over her fire, drinking broth out of a wooden bowl when a rough and rogue ember from the fire flew from that and lit her blankets on fire. Intent on filling her aching stomach, Jenny was so weak and tired that she didn't notice her flaming blankets until the fire had burned through the heavy wool of her coat and began to scorch her skin. Jumping up in terror, Jenny threw her broth over the licking flames, but the fluid did nothing to house the fire itself. In terror, Jenny fled 
from the shack and ran along the train tracks, screaming for help as the flames engulfed her body. The train station was not far from her, and instinctively, Jenny made a run for it. She was hoping to find someone, anyone to help her. Within moments, her body was a glowing inferno, and Jenny was overwhelmed with pain. Her screams grew more horrible as her steps slowed. She staggered blindly onto the tracks just west of the station. She had become a ball of fire that barely looked human. In her agony, she did not see the glowing lights of the train coming around the curve, or hear the screech of the brakes as the engineer spotted her fire-eaten figure and tried to stop. A moment later, her terrible screams broke off as the train mowed her down. Alerted by the whistle, the crew from the station came running as the engineer halted the train and ran back down the tracks towards poor Jenny who was still burning and strewn about in many pieces. The men doused the fire and attempted to carry her away, but there was so much of her scattered that it could no longer be classified as a human body. There was no hope for her. She was destitute and dead, with nothing to leave behind and no one to claim her. A few days later, a few local people and the crew from the train station pitched in and were able to give her remains a pauper's funeral. Jenny was buried in an unmarked grave at the local churchyard. Within a few days, another poverty-stricken family had moved into her shack, and soon Jenny was forgotten. Forgotten, that is, until a year later, when a train rounding the same bend west of the station was confronted by a screaming ball of fire. It was too late to stop. The young engineer, who had only one week on the job, plowed over the glowing figure before he could bring the train to a screeching halt. Leaping from the engine, he ran back down the tracks to search for a mangled, burning body. But there was nothing there. Shaken, he brought his train into the station and reported the incident to the station master. After hearing his tale, the station master remembered Jenny and realized that her spirit had returned to haunt the tracks where she had met her fate. To this day, the phantom of Jenny still appears on the tracks on the anniversary of the day she died. Many engineers have rounded the curve just west of the station and found themselves face to face with the burning ghost of screaming Jenny as she makes her deadly run towards the Harper's Ferry Station seeking in vain for someone to save her. Halloween is an annual holiday celebrated each year on October 31st. And Halloween 2019 occurs on Thursday this year in October 31st. And there's been a lot of buzz online about people wanting to put Halloween to the very last weekend of the month in October, which would be heresy considering it always falls on the 31st of October and that's where Halloween should stay. Moving it to another day or another time would be completely absurd. It originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts and evil spirits. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st 
as a time to honor All Saints, which All Saints Day became that, incorporated some of the traditions from Samhain, which is Halloween. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve, and later Halloween, over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festivities, gatherings, donning costumes, and eating sweet treats. Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival. This was 2,000 years ago in the area that is now known as Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France. They celebrated their new year on November 1st. Halloween marked the end of the year. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile nature, natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort and direction during the long, dark winter. To um, commemorate the event, Druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and it attempted to tell each other's fortunes. And this is where ghost stories around the bonfire started. When the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening, from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. Did you know that one quarter of all the candy sold annually in the U.S. is purchased for Halloween? Amazing little factoid. By 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. In the course of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. (coughs) Sorry, I'm still fighting a cold. The second was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, the symbol of Pomona in the apple. And the incorporation of the celebration into Samhain probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced even today during Halloween parties. On May 13th, 608... A.D., Pope Boniface V dedicated the Pantheon Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day. That was established on that day in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to the 1st of November. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with all the supplanted older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Saints Day, a day to honor the dead, all souls. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. All Souls Day was celebrated Similar, uh, similarly, um, along the 
traditions of Samhain with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallamas from the Middle English Alomese, meaning All Saints. And the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain and the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows Eve and eventually what we know it as today, Halloween. Celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because the rigid Protestant belief systems there believing that Halloween was much more common with Satanism. It was more commonly practiced in Maryland and the southern colonies and accepted in that region. As the beliefs and the customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, ghost stories, tell each other's fortunes, and dance and sing around the bonfires. Colonial Halloween festivals also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds, basically playing pranks on each other. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the United States. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. The term close encounter was coined by American astronomer and UFOologist Joseph Allen Hynek from 1910 to 1986, in which he died. In his 1972 book, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry, Hynek proposed three types of close encounters. The first kind being the sighting of one or more UFOs at a distance of 500 feet or less. The second kind being a sighting of a UFO with an associated physical effect, for example, heat or electrical interferences, etc. Third kind being a sighting of an animated being, presumably an alien, but not specifically defined as such. Since Hynek's original classification, several more types have been suggested, although these are not universally recognized. For example, close encounters of the fourth kind as uh, human abduction by an alien may also include voluntary experiences. The fifth kind, voluntary bilateral contact between humans and extraterrestrials. The sixth kind, death of a human or an animal associated with a UFO sighting. For example, cattle mutilations, they would certainly fall into that category. And the seventh kind, the creation of a human-alien hybrid, either by sexual reproduction or by an artificial scientific method. Uh, this brings to mind an experience I had at the Mothman Festival, in which I appear as a guest speaker and uh, sell my books at this location in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I'm sure a majority of my listening audience knows of or has heard of the Mothman phenomenon of the 1960s in Point Pleasant. And if you have not, then look through previous episodes. You'll find one where I'm talking about Mothman. And of course, I'll always mention Mothman from time to time. So you'll pick up little bits of it here and there. I was at my booth at this time. This woman approached me and was talking about that she needed to see me and talk to me uh, separately from everyone else. She had something to share. So she tells me the story about how she's been abducted repeatedly 
since she was a child. <clears throat> Most recently, within the last year, she had been abducted and impregnated by some kind of a procedure used by these aliens that abducted her and that she was carrying the child almost a full term. And she had been to the doctor and listed it, uh, no father present and had ultrasound pictures of said child. And then one day she wakes up in the middle of a field. She had been abducted the night before. Yet there was no trace of there ever being a baby in her stomach, according to her. And this was maddening for her. She went to experts. She talked to a, a hypnotist and uh, unlocked some parts of herself that she never knew existed. And a few years later, ran into a child at a market or like a farmer's market or a grocery store. I can't remember what she said. But she said that she had a psychic connection with this child. The child was about five or six years of age and looked deep into her eyes. The child looked into her eyes and spoke to her telepathically and said, Mommy, I know it's you. I just want to let you know I'm okay. They have a plan for me. There's a greater purpose for me. That is why I'm not with you. Please don't worry about me. Live your life and I'll always remember you. And she showed me the ultrasound pictures after this story. And, of course, anyone could show you ultrasound pictures. And you could have naturally miscarried the baby and then created this elaborate story just to cope with it. That's entirely possible. But the seriousness and the convictions of this woman and how truthfully she felt, she felt that what she was telling you was absolute truth. And she was very serious about it. I made direct eye contact. Very convincing. It was a very convincing story. Uh, it's one that I share quite often with my audience. And I thought this would be a perfect time and opportunity to do so for you. So that is um, an abduction encounter I have experienced. I myself have never been abducted, thankfully. Uh, but that is a really awesome story to share. And it's one that I've brought up at many conventions and festivals I speak at. Um, but moving along... In addition, UFOologist Ted Blochier has suggested seven subcategories for close encounters of the third kind. A being a being in which is witnessed inside a UFO. B, a being is witnessed both inside and outside a UFO. C category, a being is witnessed in the vicinity of a UFO. Another sub subcategory, D, a being is observed without the presence of a UFO, but... UFO activity is reported in the area around the same time. E, as type D, but UFO activity is not reported in the area. F, no entity or UFOs are witnessed, but the subject experiences some kind of communication. G, abduction, the same as close encounter of the fourth kind. A possible eighth subcategory would be H. An alien is injured, captured, and or killed. Brings to mind the Roswell incident of 1947 in New Mexico. The phrase close encounters entered mainstream pop culture following the 1977 Steven Spielberg film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is a favorite of mine. Thanks to this film, most adults in the Western world associated the phrase with alien encounters, even if few people can actually define the encounter types.
Are aliens real? One third of Americans think alien UFOs have visited Earth. A new Gallup poll of 1,522 adults in the United States found that one third of respondents believe extraterrestrial spacecraft are visiting Earth. When asked to choose between some UFOs, have been alien spacecraft visiting Earth from other planets or galaxies, and all sightings can be explained by human activity on Earth or natural phenomenon, 33% of all adults polled selected the first option. Demographic groups more likely to believe in visiting alien spaceships include the young, 18 to 29, non-college graduates, and the irreligious, which respondents in those categories trending toward 40%, but even with variations across demographic groups, no category fell below 27% of respondents describing some UFOs as alien spacecraft. The poll even found an interesting regional bump with people from the West far more likely to prefer the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Midwesterners, on the other hand, were most skeptical of aliens coming to this planet. Belief in extraterrestrial vessels entering Earth's atmosphere was consistent across gender identity and within the margin of sampling error across some income groups. Now, while the majority of Americans don't believe aliens are visiting our planet, three-quarters believe that extraterrestrial life exists on other planets, with half of Americans going further and agreeing that people somewhat like ourselves exist elsewhere in the universe. The search for extraterrestrial life, as participated by scientists, has little to do with the UFO phenomena, with research projects like Breakthrough, listen focusing their search on stars and distant galaxies, centers, and a search of radio signals and optical laser transmissions. While the extraterrestrial explanation for the UFO aerial phenomena represents a substantial minority in the United States, a large majority agree that the government of the United States knows more about UFOs than what they are telling us. In 1996, 71% of these polls answered yes to the same description of a government withholding UFO disclosures. That figure remains consistent with 2019 at 68%, with results that Gallup describes as similar among all main demographic groups, including party identification. The results are surprising in light of widespread disclosures regarding military UFO programs and the political mainstreaming of the phenomenon, including former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and Hillary Clinton, who repeatedly advanced the possibility of UFO disclosure during their 2016 presidential campaign. Blockbuster revelations around the Pentagon programs tracking UFOs and descriptions from the Navy of multiple UFO intrusions into military airspace don't seem to have moved the needle, nor has the Storm the Area 51 Facebook meme, which had more than one million people jokingly pledging to Naturo run faster than military bullets to free the aliens purportedly held at the classified U.S. Air Force Base in Nevada. Meanwhile, actual UFO sightings are slightly higher than in previous polling years, from a low of 9% in 1978 and 1987 to 2019, with 16% of U.S. adults saying they've seen a UFO. Fear of the dark. It's a common fear that so many people share. It's a common one, one of the reasons darkness can be so scary, 
is that our eyes tend to play tricks on us when the lights are low. A jacket hanging on the door can easily morph into what looks like a person, or a pillow stuffed under your blankets can appear as someone lurking in your bed. Sometimes it's easy to debunk these visions as your imagination. Um, thank goodness, I guess. But what if you saw something shadowy that wasn't a trick of light? Dark, shadowy, humanoid figures. Figures like these are actually known as shadow people. And to many people who have studied them or experienced them firsthand, they are very real and extremely terrifying. Ever had the experience of reading or watching television when suddenly from the periphery of your vision, you see what appears to be a shadowy figure moving in the room, even for a moment? Again, it's easy to, to chalk these experiences to your eye playing tricks on you or the reflection of a passing car. But countless people around the world have reported eerily similar sightings, some of them highly specific. Thus, the mystery of the shadow people has captivated the minds of paranormal friends everywhere. So exactly what are shadow people and how real can they possibly be? The term used to describe these alleged beings was apparently coined by author Heidi Hollis, who has penned several books on paranormal phenomena. Shadow people have been around since the beginning of time and are a dark influence upon society, Hollis said in an interview with radio show Coast on Coast to Coast AM. And it appears that these beings have, in fact, been around throughout history, as descriptions of shadowy human-like figures have appeared in folklore dating back to ancient times. For example, the Quran mentions pitch-black sapient beings that aren't entirely spiritual or physical, and people in ancient Europe reportedly believed that shadow beings desired blood and without it couldn't be reborn. And in modern times, reports from people claiming to have seen these people, these beings themselves, come from all over the world. Most of these shadow creatures appear through our periphery vision, and people who see them are often unable to describe in detail the features of these mystical entities, apart from their human-like forms and the occasional reports of fiery red eyes, explained Beyond Science TV. Similarly, in Hollis' book about shadow people, titled The Secret War, she describes them as dark silhouettes with human shapes and profiles that flicker in and out of peripheral vision. <clears throat> but it appears that people have begun to see shadow people in more detail in recent times, perhaps because the beings are, for whatever horrifying reasons, making themselves seen more and more. People are beginning to see them straight on and for longer periods of time, explained Thodco on its website, which also notes the appearance of red eyes on the shadow beings being prevalent. There are, of course, many theories about what shadow people come from and whether or not they are even real. Skeptics note that seeing shadow people can simply be chalked up to sleep paralysis, which is straight-up terrifying in its own right. I don't care how much people explain it away. Heightened emotional states or sleep deprivation as people who have experienced these psychological or um, physiological conditions have noted a correlation. Although, if I might add, it still doesn't fully explain why they are seeing the same creepy kind of thing, right? And of course, 
there's always the explanation that your peripheral vision is basically guaranteed to play tricks on you because it's designed to detect motion and movement, not detail. It's likely that you could make mountains out of molehills, or in this case, shadow people out of shadows, if you were in the right mindset. But then there are these paranormal theories, the ones that seem to resonate more with the people who have actually lived through terrifying encounters and feel strongly that the shadow people are more than just imaginary. Hollis, through her research and experience, apparently believes that shadow people are extraterrestrial in origin. In other words, they are aliens. Author and leading paranormal expert Rosemary Ellen Guiley appears to have had seen alien connection in this. She says, I discovered that many shadow people experiencers are also ET experiencers, especially abductees. Guiley told Psychology Today in an interview. So perhaps these beings are alien in origin, but others believe they may be ghosts, demons, or other kinds of interdimensional beings. According to Natalia Kuna, a psychic medium, shadow people are said to be conscious, intelligent, interdimensional beings that can shapeshift into various forms and figurations and move back and forth between dimensions. That sounds okay, right? But not so fast. Most reports on shadow people are overwhelmingly negative. Encounters with shadow people tend to be accompanied by a feeling of dread, according to many reports. And sorry, but the glowing red eyes are decidedly unchill. But there are allegedly different types of shadow beings, and some of them are non-threatening. Most of the time, though, it's just dark and scary stuff. Apparently... There's one type of shadow person that is said to be more demonic in nature, and that's known as the hat man. And it's reportedly seen wearing a top hat and a suit. Other times, shadow people have been reported to attempt a physical attack during sleep paralysis. Shadow people are sometimes discovered by a person who wakes up to find them trying to choke or suffocate them, said Hollis in an interview with Coast to Coast AM. Overall, I'm not feeling super great about the whole shadow person business, but I guess we have to live with the knowledge now. You can bet I'll be surrounding my bed with protective crystals, of course, and I think that we can all agree that we'll be feeling an extra twinge of fear the next time we see something slightly shadowy in our peripheral. Black-eyed children, or black-eyed kids, are a contemporary legend of supposed paranormal creatures that resemble children between the ages of 6 and 16, with pale skin and black eyes, who are reportedly seen hitchhiking or panhandling, or are encountered on doorsteps of residential homes. While tabloid coverage of these creatures has claimed that the tales of the black-eyed children have existed in modern lore since the 1980s, most sources indicate that the legend originated from the 1996 posting written by Texas reporter Brian Bethel on a ghost-related mailing list relating two alleged encounters with black-eyed kids. Bethel describes encountering two such children in Albadine, Texas. 
1996 and claims that a second person had a similar unrelated encounter in Portland, Oregon. Bethel's stories have become regarded as classic examples of creepypasta and gained such popularity that he published a FAQ just to keep up with the demand for more info about the new urban legend. In 2012, Brian Bethel told his story on reality TV series Monsters and Mysteries in America. He wrote a follow-up article for the Abilene Reporter News, describing his experience and maintaining his belief that it is legitimate. In 2012, the horror film Black Eyed Kids was produced with Kickstarter funding. Its director commenting that the creepy children were an urban legend that's been floating around on the internet for years now. I always thought it was fascinating. A 2013 episode of MSN's Weekly Strange that featured reports of black-eyed children is thought to have helped spread the legend on the internet. During one week in September of 2014, the British tabloid Daily Star ran three sensationalistic front-page stories about alleged sightings of black-eyed children connected to the sale of a supposedly haunted pub in Staffordshire. The paper claimed a shock rise in sightings around the world. Alleged sightings are taken seriously by ghost hunters, some of whom believe black-eyed children to be extraterrestrials, vampires, or ghosts. Science writer Sharon A. Hill was unable to find any documentation of black-eyed child encounters, concluding that the tales are passed on as friends of a friend of a friend type ghost stories. Hill considers the legend to resemble typical spooky folklore stories, such as, uh, such as the phantom black dog, where the subject is not supernatural, and there, are, there may never have been an actual or, or original encounter. Snopes lists this phenomenon as being legend. Now, it's entirely up to you what the black-eyed children or the children with the sunken-in eye holes, whatever you prefer to call them, might be. Fact, fiction, legend, lore, no matter how you slice it, it's a lot of fun to discuss because first and foremost, it's creepy as hell. There's a tire shop that rests on the outskirts of West 50, Western Avenue in Chillicothe, Ohio. It's the Weston Business District. There's an excessive amount of paranormal activity. There have been stories of people seeing phantom Shawnee warriors riding horseback. A ghostly girl and boy have been seen at this location by several eyewitnesses and the sounds of footsteps, voices, and doors slamming tires falling on their own or rolling off a rack without anyone around them have been reported. A story that was shared with me made the hair of my arms stand at attention. This encounter occurred about at this point nine years ago. A customer arrived after business hours with the intentions to drop off his vehicle for repairs. He parked near the front of the building and waited for his ride to pick him up. He was surveying the area and noticed that a decorative item inside the shop was moving in a circular motion. He thought to himself, perhaps someone is here. I could just leave my keys with them instead of the drop box. 
He walked to the front door, but soon realized it was locked. There were no lights on in the shop, and he didn't see anyone moving around in the back. Puzzled, he returned to his vehicle and continued to wait for his ride. A few minutes followed after he returned to his vehicle, and the decorative item that was inside the showroom began to spin again, and the bathroom light was turning on and off repeatedly. He was growing annoyed with the situation and decided to go back and see if anyone was hiding from him. He was planning to knock on the front door until whoever was playing this prank decided to stop. Much to his surprise, there on the floor of the showroom sat a small boy. According to his description, the boy was dressed in what looked like garb of a modern Amish kid. A small boy with a bowl-cut hairdo. He was wearing suspenders and an old-world button-down shirt. The boy's pants were dark gray. Everything about what this man was seeing rattled his nerves to the bone. The small boy appeared to be sitting on his legs, crossed over. The boy just sat there, staring at this display as it spiraled. The lights continued to go off and on as this boy remained motionless. The customer couldn't fathom what he was seeing. Where did this boy come from? Where are his parents? Were just some of the questions running through his mind during this encounter. He proceeded to step back away from the window without what felt like a second. The lights were off and the boy disappeared. The boy then instantly reappeared face to face with this frightened man. The way this man described the look of the boy left me speechless. In his words, he said, The boy showed his face to me. He went from sitting on the floor to standing at the window in a mere nanosecond. His mouth was gaping open, and his eyes, oh my God, his eyes, there were no eyes, only black, sunken sockets. He looked miserable. Upon having the life scared out of him, the customer ran from the window, got in his vehicle, and drove straight home. It would be three years after that point before he returned to this business. He later tracked me down at my day job and relayed this story to me. Now today, as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing the phenomenon of black-eyed children or children appearing with sunken sockets for eyes, total blackness, nothing. They're physical beings, but their eyes are black or it's just an empty socket. What is this anomaly? What is this phenomenon? Is it paranormal, supernatural, demonic? All three of those things relate to one another. But are these black-eyed children from our world, an alternate dimension, a hell dimension, the future, the past? Or is it something projected from our own subconscious? I'll dive deeper into this after we return from this message. There was a ship recently discovered that had actually disappeared in 1925. It was last seen at that time. It mysteriously reappeared after disappearing 90 years ago in the Bermuda Triangle. The ship remains intact and afloat and has never been seen by any aircraft or seagoing ship in nine decades, nor has the ship ever run aground. Where has she been, they you may ask what happened to the crew there were no skeletal remains that were ever discovered on this ship 
Oddly enough, there were strange outlines of bodies burned into the side of the ship's hull and along the ship hallways. This reminds me a lot of the Philadelphia experiment, if anyone's familiar with that. This happened in the 1930s, late 30s, where a ship disappeared from one harbor and reappeared in another. And it was a cloaking device that was created by reverse magnetic polarity propulsion. This was actually one of Einstein's earlier designs um, that would actually have benefited us more than the atomic bomb, which he was also responsible for initially. This experiment was supposed to create a magnetic field around the ship, thus making them invisible to radar. Problem is, when it disappeared, all of the people that survived this experiment that were on the ship said when they disappeared, they reappeared in a strange realm where the water was red. There were strange sounds and creatures that were seen in the water near their ship. And another ship that was much larger than their own was moving in towards them. And as quickly as they appeared in this strange realm, they disappeared and then reappeared in Philadelphia. And then in a mere few seconds after so many people um, and Roanoke, Virginia, sorry, it was in Virginia where they reappeared. After so many people saw them, they then reappeared in Philadelphia and became violently ill. A lot of the men along the ship were vomiting and retching along the ship itself, the deck, or off to the side. And the saying goes, those that were lucky were the mad ones. The ones that didn't really believe what was happening to them had happened, that they had just lost their minds due to some sort of overexposure to radiation. Uh, there were several men who appeared unscathed by the experiment and when they were moved on to other locations and stationed elsewhere and everything was everything was classified and they were debriefed and relieved of duty to that experiment and sworn to secrecy they would be sitting there having coffee one day with their shipmates or with um, other military personnel or even with their own family and just immediately disappear while they're sitting there drinking coffee or having breakfast or just having a conversation and then reappear a few seconds later. And they had to be quarantined. Uh, rumors were being thrown around to try and cover this up that all these men were sick from radiation poisoning. But try telling that to the eyewitnesses who watched them disappear and then reappear moments later. And the things these men described that they would see or encounter or where they ended up when they disappeared from our reality ended up in an alternate one, it's enough to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. There were reports of men saying they'd disappear from here and then end up reappearing in the middle of the sky and falling. And then they'd get sucked out of that back to where they were and they would be fine. And then it kept happening and they would slip in and out of our reality or reports from people who said that they were in that time period when this was happening, disappear and then reappear in the middle of a battlefield in the medieval times, or they would watch knights and 
kings fight with one another and then get sucked back into our realm or they would get shot so far off into the distant future that they didn't recognize anything they were seeing um, or understand flying cars or how these things were flying around in the sky or sidewalks that were moving or um, people walking around with strange gadgets in their hands reading news sources they didn't understand any of this and it was it was quite a time for not only our military men but for science itself to try and explain away this phenomenon because you you simply cannot NASA finds hidden portals in Earth's magnetic field. A portal is considered a shortcut, a guide, a door into the unknown, but portals as we know them are only present in sci-fi movies, right? Well, according to scientists, it turns out that portals actually exist. And not only that, NASA has funded researchers at the University of Iowa to figure out what was going on with them. We call them X-points, or electron diffusion regions, explains plasma physicist Jack Scudder of the University of Iowa. They are places where the magnetic field of Earth connects to the magnetic field of the Sun, creating an uninterrupted path leading from our own planet to the Sun's atmosphere 93 million miles away. It's a shortcut worthy of the best portals of fiction. Only this time, the portals are real. And with the new signposts, we know how to find them. In the last couple of decades, science, or better said, mainstream science, has tried to adapt to numerous claims, features, and characteristics that have previously been considered as unacceptable. Breakthroughs and countless discoveries have altered science as we know it like never before. While many researchers reject new ways and new concepts, other researchers around the globe are embracing the fact that in order for science in general to advance and make even bigger breakthroughs, we must let go of the strict dogmas set into place decades ago. The reality is proven to be very complex, that the ability to change our perception of life, our planet, solar system, known physics, and the possibilities of alien life. While many of these subjects have been part of the countless conspiracy theories, people on Earth have come a far way in the last decade in our quest to understand the secrets of the universe. It turns out that there are hidden portals in our planet's magnetic field. Scientifically speaking, a wormhole is a hypothetical feature in space-time that primarily acts as some sort of shortcut through the universe. This has been featured in numerous science fiction movies and accepted as a possible way of travel of advanced extraterrestrial beings, which science tends to be split in their op opinions on this matter. While many believe wormholes, portals, and shortcuts in the cosmos are most likely possible, others firmly reject that notion, saying it's all part of science fiction. Interestingly, science fiction has made numerous new technologies a possibility. Things that were considered as science fiction half a century ago in today's world are a reality. Speaking about portals, it's called a flux transfer event, or FTE, says space physicist David Seibach of the Goddard Space Flight Center. Ten years ago, I was pretty sure they didn't exist, but now the evidence is... On, uh, is... 
hard to dismiss. An example of how science fiction turns into a possibility of a discovery NASA made in the Earth's magnetic field as they have discovered that there are hidden portals there. In fact, there are certain areas in Earth's magnetic field that are connected with our sun's magnetic field, meaning that this allows for an uninterrupted path that leads from the Earth to the sun. In order to make the discovery, NASA used its Thema spacecraft, which examined the phenomenon. According to NASA, the strange portals open and close several times a day. Strangely, UFO hunters have claimed for years that our sun is part of a, gi of a gigantic stargate used by the gods at one time, or highly advanced extraterrestrial civilizations to travel across the universe rapidly. According to research, the portals NASA discovered are mostly located tens of thousands of kilometers from Earth, and some of them are small, while others are gigantic, vast, and sustained. According to scientists, these portals transfer massive amounts of magnetically charged particles that originate in the sun. There are more unanswered questions. Why do the portals from every, form every eight minutes? How do magnetic fields inside the cylinder twist and coil? Magnetic portals are invisible, unstable, and elusive. They open and close without warning, and there are no signposts to guide, and Dr. Scooter, University of Iowa stated. Now, if you remember the most recent onslaught of Marvel movies, for example, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Captain Marvel, they show these strange portals that open up for a few minutes and enables them to go from one point to another in uh, nano speed, essentially. Uh, I think that Marvel has slowly been sliding that reality into the world as we know it and see it to make it more acceptable, more plausible, because it's there. Naturally, it's there. It has been there for centuries, and we're just now figuring it out. What an amazing week I had in Vermont. Just returned to Ohio today. Uh, while I was in Vermont, I visited Lake Champlain in Burlington. Went to several shops looking for any merchandise pertaining to Bigfoot in Vermont or Champ in Lake Champlain. Champ, that being uh, Nessie's cousin in the States. And found several decals, but no t-shirts, unfortunately. I went to a museum in Burlington. By the time we got there, they were already closed. Turns out they are the ones that carry most of the Champ merchandise in the Stowe slash Montpelier slash Burlington area. So I went to Amazon, and just like every other bloke in America right now, I spent my money with a third party to get a shirt showing Champ at Lake Champlain. Didn't get it from Burlington, but still, it's a thought that counts, considering I did spend a lot of time there. Talked to a few people about Champ and Bigfoot sightings in Vermont, and uh, heard a lot of interesting stories that people had relayed to me from what their grandparents had told them, or friends that had seen Bigfoot, or a Yeti-type creature in the mountain region when it's snowing heavily. Uh, a lot of fun doing that. 
Now, a lot of people have asked me through the years how on earth I can believe in Bigfoot. And they're taken aback when I tell them that I'm seriously invested in the possibility of Bigfoot existing, that I completely believe in it. Same with uh, water monsters, all creatures of cryptozoological backgrounds, Mothman, things of that nature. And when you look at the Earth, it's over 70% water. We know more about our galaxy that surrounds us than we do about our own planet. And every day, researchers and scientists and people who just happen to be at the right place at the right time are discovering new species, a new type of butterfly, a new type of larva, a new type of monkey, a new type of strange hybrid bear, maybe some kind of a of a mountain lion or a type of bobcat that was thought to be extinct but is very much alive. That is what keeps me believing in those things. When we live on a planet that we only know about 5% of our own ocean and it still goes deeper and deeper and we can't reach it. And a lot of the wilderness within the United States alone, not just jungle regions outside of the U.S. and in third world countries and desert regions that are untouched by man or man may have never set foot on. And we've become so arrogant in the 21st century that we think we have it all figured out. But then you look at those possibilities, you look at that reality, the fact that a majority of our own wilderness in the United States has not been thoroughly explored. There's plenty of room for a creature type uh, such as Bigfoot to, to hide, to play hide-and-seek, to find a new location, to constantly move, or to completely blend in directly under our nose without us even noticing. Uh, it could be a creature with the ability to move in and out of space and time or in and out of a bridge to reality where a multiverse exists and they live in an alternate reality and they can step in and out of certain windows that only they know where they're located and they pop into our reality for just a glimpse for just a short moment and then boom they're back into their world the possibilities are endless and that is what keeps me believing in Champ at Lake Champlain or Bigfoot in the United States, Yeti throughout the world, the Skunk Ape in Florida, Grassman in Ohio, the Mothman. Uh, th those things are entirely possible. <sighs> Shows like Scooby-Doo taught us a lot that the real monsters are people, essentially. And creatures like what I talk about on my podcast, even spirits, ghosts, aliens, UFOs that house aliens, those things are entirely possible, and they're happening now, and they've happened for centuries. And it's almost as if we've reached a new age of enlightenment within the 21st century itself, because people are discussing these things openly, freely, without prejudice, uh, hell, there's TV shows about it, radio shows, documentaries, podcasts such as my, my own podcast, people speaking openly and freely about these things. It's a great time to be alive. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.
Hey, hot off the presses. I got a really interesting story here for you. An alien hunter explains why he won't be going to Area 51 to look for little green men. Uh, What started as an internet joke has generated a stern military warning after more than a million people signed up to raid Area 51, a secretive military installation in southern Nevada, long fancied by conspiracy theorists to be hiding evidence of a crashed UFO with aliens, or maybe more than one crashed UFO. The purpose of the planned raid is in order to see them aliens, quote-unquote. In the following Q&A, Astronomy professor Jason Wright discusses the public's interest in answering the age-old question, are we alone? The questions go like this. Since you have a long-standing scholarly interest in extraterrestrial life and even wrote about the possibility of advanced civilizations in the distant past on Mars or Venus, I presume you've canceled your classes for September 20th and signed up to go to the raid in Area 51. His answer was, to be honest, I completely, I was completely unaware of the raid until you brought it to my attention. I work in SETI, the Scientific Research for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and believe me, no one wants to find evidence of extraterrestrial life more than those of us in this field. We scour the skies for evidence of such extraterrestrial technologies with some of the most advanced equipment in the world for understanding what's going on in the sky. And we haven't found anything compelling yet, but we're not paying much attention to what is happening at Area 51. The next question they asked him, do you think the public knows enough about Area 51 or is the widespread interest in this raid a good barometric read on how frustrated people are that the government appears to be hiding things and once again um, trying to be so secretive that uh, they're hiding something? His answer was, I don't know very much about Area 51, but I can say that the intense interest in the goings-on there related to aliens reveals a deep public interest in what kinds of life might exist elsewhere in the universe. Their next question, have you yourself ever tried to do any real research into the happenings in Area 51? His response, not Area 51 exactly, the closest I've come to that was a talk I heard by a physicist describing the fascinating science carried out by the military back in the late 1940s, especially Project Mogul, which launched microphones on balloons to see if they could detect nuclear testing going on in the Soviet Union. It's an amazing story of physics and engineering ingenuity. When one of those balloons with its disc microphones and radar reflectors landed in a farm in Roswell, New Mexico, and helped fuel the whole alien craze we're still living with today. It's a shame because the science fiction-inspired aliens conspiracy theory is, from my standpoint, so much less fascinating than the story of the research that was going on then. Their next question. There was a time when the federal government provided researchers and money to search for and teach about the search for extraterrestrial life. And you laminated that that it is no longer the case. If you had your way, how much money do you think the federal government should give America's researchers to search for aliens or evidence of aliens? His response, the search for life in the universe is a major priority for NASA and the American Science Union. Many of our missions to Mars and our space telescopes are designed with the detection of biosignatures in mind. 
biosignatures being signs of life like microfossils or evidence of metabolism in the atmospheres of distant planets. But despite the billions of dollars spent on these missions, I think many members of the public would be surprised to learn that NASA and the National Science Foundation spent next to nothing looking for intelligent life in the universe, including technological life that might, after all, be easier to find. I think the level of funding for the field should be determined the way the rest of the science is by competitive peer review of proposals for research. So I don't know what the right level is, but I know it's not zero. Their response, you're the winner of the 2019 Drake Award. What is the Drake Award? Why did you win it? And what do you plan to do in order to advance what the award is about? The Drake Award is named after its first recipient, Frank Drake, who more than anyone launched the field of SETI in the early 1960s with his pioneering radio experiments. He also made the first calculation using what today we call the Drake Equation of the number of alien civilizations in the Milky Way that might be trying to contact us. The Drake Award is awarded occasionally by the SETI Institute, a research center dedicated to understanding humanity's place in the universe. I see this award as validation of my work to help elevate the field of SETI as an academic discipline and to persuade Congress, NASA, and the public that it is worth worthy of public investment. It is, after all, the scientific approach to answering one of the most profound questions ever asked. Is Earth life unique? Or are there other beings like us out there in the universe? That was a compelling article. I'm glad that you gave me time to share it with you. It's all the time I have for this week. Tune in next week for some more crazy stories, out-of-this-world theories, conspiracies, government cover-ups, ghost stories, um, things dealing with cryptozoology, and crop formations. Have a great weekend, and this is Neil Parks with Paranormally Speaking signing off. Stretch those quads and prep that tinfoil hat. Over 1 million people have signed on to a Facebook event pledging to raid Area 51 in Nevada in a quest to see them aliens, as is put. The event, titled Storm Area 51, They Cannot Stop All of Us, is inviting users from around the world to join a Naruto Run, a Japanese magna-inspired running style featuring arms outstretched backwards and heads forward into the area. We can move faster than their bullets, the event page states, which is clearly written with tongue-in-cheek, God I hope, promises those who RSVP for the September 20th event. What are they after? The mysteries of Area 51 have been the focus of conspiracy theories for decades, and many people think it's where the U.S. government stores its secrets about aliens and UFOs. The area was officially acknowledged as a military site in 2013, but the theories live on. Though the September event is most certainly a joke, it comes just a few weeks after a group of U.S. Senators were briefed about reported encounters between the U.S. Navy and unidentified aircraft, literally an unidentified flying object. So what do they know? Where can we sign up to hear about this? Are you ready to storm Area 51? And now, racist things said by President Donald Trump.
Laziness is a trait in blacks, said by Donald Trump. I can Jew them down as good as any Jew, said by Donald Trump. Illegal immigrants are rapists and drug dealers, said by Donald Trump. I love the Japs, said by Donald Trump. How's he even a judge? I want to see his papers, said by Donald Trump while addressing a golfing benefit and discussing the Hispanic American judge who was officiating the case against Trump University. People like Maxine Walters don't know their place. She has an exceptionally low IQ, said by Donald Trump. I moved in on her like a bitch. She was even married, but I still did it. When you're famous, they'll let you do anything. I see something gorgeous and I just have to kiss it. Pop in some Tic Tacs and kiss them. Go up and grab them right in the pussy, said by Donald Trump. Ching Jang Chong. Donald Trump said this while responding to a question pertaining to what he said to Chinese businessmen while negotiating trade deals. God, those people are dirty, said by Donald Trump, discussing his feeling towards Arabic businessmen. Why are all the people from these shithole countries coming here, said by Donald Trump. Look at my African-American over there. Just look at him. He does what I say. Go on, dance around, said by Donald Trump. Trump said the Mexican ancestry of a federal judge born in Indiana should disqualify him from presiding over a fraud lawsuit against Trump because of his proposed border wall. After he called U.S. District Judge Gonzalo Krull, a member of a club or society very strongly pro-Mexican, a reporter asked Trump whether he would also feel that way about a Muslim if he could not be treated fairly because of his proposed Muslim ban. Trump said, it's possible, yes. Trump defended his posting on Twitter of a six-pointed star, a pile of cash, and an image of Hillary Clinton with the caption, most corrupt candidate ever. Widespread denunciations of the tweet as anti-Semitic led an aide to delete it, but Trump said it should have stayed up. Just leave it up and say that, no, that's not a star of David, that's just a star, he said. It could have been a sheriff star, Trump added. Haitian immigrants all have AIDS, and Nigerian immigrants will never go back to their huts in Africa, Trump said. They're trying to take away our culture. They're trying to take away our history and our weak leaders. They do it overnight. These things have been there for 150 years, for 100 years. You could go back to a university and it's gone. Weak, weak, weak people. Donald Trump said. You were here long before any of us were, although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas, said Donald Trump. Trump drew condemnation from British Prime Minister Theresa May for sharing three anti-Muslim videos from a far-right British nationalist who was recently arrested for inciting hatred and violence against Muslims. The videos purported to show Muslims engaged in violent or anti-Christian acts. One of them, titled Muslim Migrants Beats Up Dutch Boy on Crutches, did not actually show a migrant beating the boy. The attacker was born and raised in the Netherlands. No one is guilty unless proven so by a court of law, nor can a setting president be indicted on federal charges by any federal agency. He or she may be impeached by Congress and then made to stand trial. But if the Congress will not remove him or her from office, they cannot be indicted. 
Relevant to this question is what President Trump has confessed to in public statements and how the Department of Justice should move such confessions and when such confessions are made. To this day, the sitting president has confessed to using Russian agents to provide information on Hillary Clinton during the presidential election campaign of 2016. This is use of billable services from a foreign power to, in pursuit of an elected federal office, a flagrant violation of campaign laws. He has admitted to paying hush money to women regarding sexual activity that he had with them. It was done to influence the outcome of the presidential election. The money he spent is too large for a campaign contribution, nor was it declared as a campaign contribution. These are flagrant violations of campaign finance law. He conspired with David Pecker, a publisher, to receive money to publish the stories of women with whom he'd had sex, knowing there was no intention of publishing the stories. These are violations of contract and publishing law. He admitted to terminating FBI Director James Comey over his investigation into Russia meddling in 2016 during the presidential campaign. This is called obstruction of justice. This violated criminal law. So why has the president not been indicted? Because federal agencies like the DOG, DOJ cannot indict a sitting president. This has to change. Trump has managed to completely hijack the GOP. There is not a single Republican in power right now who has the cojones to actually put themselves out there and do what's right, do what's ethical, do what's honest, do what is for the people, the people who put them there. They've forgotten what it's like to be people. They don't behave like normal, rational people. And they are allowing a man in office who's completely deconstructing the Constitution, the principles of what this nation was founded upon, and he's managed to hijack the Christian coalition and or the entire evangelical movement. We've been told for thousands and thousands of years, the Antichrist is coming. He will appear as an angel of light. He will deceive millions. He will create chaos and then give us an antidote. And then they put the same Antichrist in the office. They wanted to call Obama the Antichrist. There was a group that wanted to call Bush the Antichrist. There was a group that wanted to call Clinton the Antichrist. But no one exhibits more anti-Christian behavior than Donald Trump. He says one thing and does the exact opposite, then does one thing and says the exact opposite. And it's all on film. It's all his own words coming out of his own mouth saying these things, his own actions committing these crimes, these sins, these horrible acts, saying these horrible things about people, to people, around people, yet he still gets a round of applause. I, I cannot wrap my brain around this. It's like I went to sleep on normal planet Earth and then woke up in this alternate reality where nothing makes sense. If you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy, it paints an elaborate picture of a future utopian society, much like taking place in the United States, but far off in the future. And everything that's going on right now that doesn't seem to make sense to logical thinking people takes place in that movie. And those that are logical thinkers are normally either imprisoned in the film, executed, 
or thrown into a reality show and uh, forced to fend for themselves and die trying. This is what we're up against right now. Something has got to be done. This lunatic has got to be stopped. Pentagon's secret UFO program has some strange stories to tell. The former leader of the U.S. government's top-secret UFO program has some strange stories to tell, and he is sharing some of them for the first time in a new documentary. Intelligence officer Luis Elizondo served as the former director of the Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, AATIP, an initiative launched in 2007 to study reports of UFO encounters. Elizondo departed the Pentagon in 2017. That year, he spoke with reporters at the New York Times confirming the existence of the shadowy agency and describing its mission. Now, Elizondo is pulling back the curtain on his tenure with the AATIP, which he left because of a lackluster official response to the agency's findings and their unwillingness to address potential risks from UFOs, according to the new show, Undefined Inside America's UFO Investigation which premiered on May 31st on the History Channel at 10 p.m. No, there isn't a big reveal that the UFOs were alien spacecraft all along, but delving into long-hidden accounts of UFO investigations will hopefully encourage people and authorities to overcome long-standing stigmas and talk more openly about these mysterious aircraft, some of which may pose a bigger threat than we realize, Elizondo told Live Science. UFOs have perplexed and fascinated people for decades. They also pose a unique challenge to federal agents trying to determine if they represent a threat to national security. Before AATIP, the U.S. Air Force had launched Project Blue Book, which investigated more than 12,000 purported UFO sightings from 1952 to 1969. During Elizondo's tenure at AATIP, observers reported UFOs flying at hypersonic speeds more than five times the speed of sound. Yet there were none of the signatures that usually accompany aircraft flying at such fantastic speeds, such as a sonic boom, he said. The UFOs were also unexpectedly mobile traveling so fast that they would have experienced gravitational forces or G-forces that far exceeded the limits of endurance for both humans and aircrafts. The F-16 Fighting Falcon aircraft, one of the most maneuverable in the U.S. arsenal, reaches its limit at around 16 to 18 Gs, while the human body can withstand about 9 Gs for a very short time before a person would start to black out, Elizondo said. These things that were observed that they were observing were pulling 400 to 500 Gs, he said. They don't have engines or even wings, and they are able to seemingly defy the natural effects of Earth's gravitational pull and what we know about physics. Some of the UFO sightings reported to AATIP were eventually resolved as aerial drones or test firings of new types of missiles that were spotted from an unusual angle. But while many astonishing UFOs still defied explanation, there simply isn't enough evidence to suggest they belong to extraterrestrials, Alzando added. However, another possibility is even more unsettling than the prospect of an alien invasion, that a foreign adversary has secretly developed technologies that are strategic game changers, unlike anything ever seen before, he said. Addressing the potential threat is an unnecessary step that government officials, even those that support AATIP, don't take seriously enough, according to Elizondo. 
What's more, the entrenched secrecy shrouding official UFO investigations only reinforces the association of UFOs with tinfoil hats and ridiculous stories. We trust the American people to know that North Korea has nuclear warheads pointed at Los Angeles. Yet we don't trust them with the knowledge that there's something in our skies that we don't know what it is. That seems counterproductive to me, Alzando noted.